Good evening. We appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. <clears throat> we try our best on this program to answer every question with a book, chapter, and verse for an answer. Now, maybe some questions don't have an answer or we don't know the answer. We're not too proud to say we don't know the answer. But if there's a Bible verse answering the question, that's our goal. Not just to tell you what Patrick Donahue thinks or what Patrick Donahue wants, but actually what the Bible actually says. That's how we expect to answer the questions. So when you call in, don't expect me to answer necessarily the way you want me to answer. I'm going to answer the way the Bible says. I'm going to give you book, chapter, and verse. We appreciate our listeners. Matter of fact, whenever I start preaching on this program, I always give the callers priority because I know that's what keeps the program interesting to people is hearing the back and forth, hearing the questions. Uh, so if you have a Bible question or comment, we're going to put you right on the air. The lines are wide open right now. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877 877- Six five five six seven five five. Several weeks ago, we talked in detail about something in the news a lot today, gay marriage. And I suspect every listener to that program, or most every listener, agreed with me. We showed a number of verses proving conclusively from the Bible, Old Testament and New, that homosexuality was a sin, that people who continue in such sin will not be saved. They're going to be lost. Like I said, probably almost everybody listening agreed with that. But guess what? If gay marriage is wrong, wouldn't adulterous marriage also be wrong? Yet I suspect 90% of our listeners are part of churches that just accept adulterous marriages. You say, what's an adulterous marriage? Well, didn't Jesus talk about adulterous marriages in Matthew 19.9? He specifically mentions them. He says, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. So if a man divorces his wife for any reason other than her cheating on him sexually, and then he remarries, Jesus calls that marriage adultery. He says, if you divorce your wife, except it be for fornication, and marry another, you commit adultery. So that second marriage is adultery, an adulterous marriage. There's no two ways around that. It's very clear. Yet most churches just accept people in their second, third, fourth marriages, and they're, they, and all of these marriages are in violation of Matthew 19.9. They're all in adulterous marriages, and the churches just accept them because they don't want to lose numbers. Now you say, Pat, I agree with you. Gay marriage is wrong. We've got to oppose that. Well, if you're going to be consistent on that, we have to oppose adulterous marriages also. Now, let me show you this. If you accept adulterous marriages, sooner or later, the church is going to accept gay marriage. That's just the way, that's how it's gone in the past. People accepting adulterous marriages, churches accepting adulterous marriages, and eventually they accept gay marriages. Why? Because if you can allow one sin, why can't you allow the parallel sin? Now, to show you, I'm going to give you a quote from a guy. We've, my daughter found this on the Internet several years ago. It's from a preacher named Ken Wilson, and I think he preached for a large non-denominational church. <clears throat> but anyway, that congregation switched from opposing gay marriage 
to accepting gay marriage. And here's his justification. I want you to listen to this because you're going to see that the acceptance of adulterous marriages is going to lead to the acceptance of gay marriage eventually. Here's Ken Wilson's reason, justification for why that church now accepts gay marriage. He says, I have proposed a path for these pastors that allows them to embrace people who are gay, lesbian, and transgender and to accept them fully. Welcome and wanted into the company of Jesus. I wrote a letter to my congregation when I realized my views had changed. And I needed to communicate the intense theological, biblical, pastoral, and spiritual process that I had been through to get to this new place. It began with a burr beneath the saddle of my conscience. Why was I willing to let so many divorced and remarried couples know that they are welcome and wanted? while refusing that same welcome to gay and lesbian couples. How could I say to the remarried couples whose second marriage was clearly condemned by the plain meaning of Scripture? He's talking about heterosexuals here. You are, let me repeat that again. He's talking about heterosexuals, and here's what he says. How could I say to the remarried couples whose second marriage was clearly condemned by the plain meaning of Scripture, you are welcome and wanted, while saying to the two Lesbian mothers raising their adopted child together. I love you, but I hate your sin. You see, Mr. Wilson realized his inconsistency. The church where he was, this large congregation, had been for years accepting second and third marriages, and I'm talking about heterosexual marriages, that were clearly condemned by the plain meaning of Scripture. And I'm almost positive he's referring to Matthew 19.9, the verse we just read. He said, how can we just accept those and not accept gay marriages? So really what he said was to be consistent since we've been accepting marriages, heterosexual marriages, adulterous marriages, clearly condemned by the plain meaning of Scripture. We've been accepting those. Therefore, we should also be able to accept gay marriage, even though that is clearly condemned by Scripture. Now, you and I know what he should have done when he realized they've been accepting uh, uh, heterosexual marriages, second or third marriages in violation of Matthew 19.9 that are clearly condemned by Matthew 19.9 and other scriptures. They should have said, let's quit accepting those adulterous marriages. But instead of saying we shouldn't be accepting those adulterous marriages because Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't want us to, they said, well, we'll just start accepting gay marriages because that's the consistent thing to do. Do you see what I mean? When a church accepts adulterous marriages for long enough, out of consistency, they're going to have to start accepting gay marriages. How can you oppose gay marriage when you allow adulterous marriages? There's there's no way you can consistently do that. Again, you ask, what's an adulterous marriage? I'm not familiar with that, Pat. I know what a gay marriage is. What's an adulterous marriage? Jesus said in Matthew 19:9, whosoever shall put away his wife, the newer translations will say divorce, Whoever divorces his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. So if I divorce my wife, Carol, for, say, incompatibility, which is the most common cause of divorce, and I marry Betty, Jesus says that's adultery. That's an adulterous marriage. Now, let's say, suppose two men are married to each other, a gay marriage, and they want to do what's right. Can they just say, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for this, and stay in that gay marriage? That doesn't make any sense. That's not repenting. Repenting in order to get forgiveness would mean they have to terminate the relationship. You can't just say, I'm sorry that I'm in this gay marriage, but I'm going to stay in it. <laughs> that's that's asking God to forgive you for a sin that you plan on 
keep it on committing. That's not repentance. Then why would anybody think, if you understand that, why would anybody think that you can stay in an adulterous marriage and be forgiven by God? Forgiven by God. You mean, here's a man and a woman in their second or third marriage and they didn't divorce their wife, original spouse, for fornication. So this marriage is called adultery. This second marriage is called adultery by Jesus. You say, well, they can just say, I'm sorry, and stay in the marriage? You mean you can tell God you're sorry for committing adultery even while you're planning to commit adultery regular with your partner? Why is that okay in the gay people? Why can't the gay people say they're sorry and continue in their gay relationships? You can see that's absurd when you're talking about gay marriage. Why can't you see it's just as absurd to say that about an adulterous marriage, that a person can repent of an adulterous marriage and stay in it? That's telling God, I'm sorry that I'm committing adultery, but I'm going to stay, keep committing the adultery. That doesn't make any sense at all. And you know it doesn't because you know it doesn't make any sense when talking about the gay marriage. Well, then you should know by the same exact reasoning and logic that it doesn't make any sense with the adulterous marriage. Now, there's a story that I'd like to read to you a little bit about in Mark chapter 6, 17 and 18. Now, now to be fair, this happened during the days that the Old Testament was still binding. The New Testament hadn't come into effect yet. But I think it illustrates us for us well what has to be done when a couple finds themselves in an adulterous marriage. Mark 6, 17 and 18 says, For Herod himself had laid hold upon John, talking about John the Baptist, and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Now, secular history says that Herod had divorced his wife. Herodias had divorced her husband, her husband. And now Herod and Herodias are married to each other. And John the Baptist had enough courage to say to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her. In other words, if you want to be right with God, you're going to have to terminate the relationship. Guess what happened to John? They shot the messenger. Herodias got so mad, she asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter, and they executed him. They cut his head off. Here we have John the Baptist, who preached the truth on divorce and remarriage. He said to these people who are unscripturally married, adulterous marriage, he said, it's not lawful for you to have her. In other words, you need to terminate the relationship. He preached the truth, stood for the truth on that, even though it cost him his life. But we have most preachers today that won't stand for the truth on this just because it may cost them a few members and it may cost them some some of their contribution. Huh. Can you see from Mark 6, 17 and 18 that it wasn't just a sin for Herod to marry Herodias. It was a sin for Herod to keep Herodias. It's not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. And so we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to give up that spouse. If we have, if I've divorced Carol for any reason other than fornication and I remarry, Jesus calls that marriage adultery and it's not lawful for me to have her, the second marriage. I'm going to have to get rid of that. That's what that illustrates. Matthew 19, 9 tells us the law on this, New Testament law on this. If you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877-655-6755, 877-655-6755. You know, all churches used to believe the truth on this. 
Anthony Donovan in the Orange County, California Register. He's not necessarily a conservative. He's probably a liberal. He said some conservative groups believe that divorced people who marry another spouse are living in sin. However, the number of divorces in the United States has led most denominations away from that teaching. What's Anthony Donovan saying? He's saying that that conservative groups used to all teach this, that if you divorce and remarry, you're living in sin. But the number of divorces in the United States has led most denominations away from that teaching. He didn't say these churches did a new study of the Bible, a more in-depth study of the Bible, and found out they were wrong. No, it was easy to stand for the truth on divorce and remarriage 100 years ago. Only one out of 50 marriages ended in divorce. But now one out of two marriages ended in divorce. And so it's much harder to stand for the truth against divorce and remarriage. And that's why almost all churches have compromised on this. And as I pointed out, when they compromise on this, they're going to eventually compromise on gay marriage. Let's look at some more verses here. We've looked at Matthew 19, 9 and Mark 6, 17 and 18. Let's look at Romans 7, 2 and 3. I like to say that Matthew 19, 9 tells us the facts of the case. Whereas Romans 7, 2, and 3 tells us the reason for those facts. Remember, the facts are, the facts are that if you divorce and remarry, it's adultery. Okay? Why is that true? Why is it that if you divorce your wife and marry another, why is that called adultery? How can you commit adultery with someone you're married to. Well, Romans 7, 2, and 3 helps us to see why it's adultery when you divorce and remarry like that. It says, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead... She is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So here's a woman that's bound to her husband as long as he lives. That's what the text says. Bound simply means obligated here. Obligated. She's bound to her husband. She's obligated to her husband as long as he lives. Suppose she divorces him for incompatibility and then remarries. She's still bound or obligated to that original husband because he's still alive. Do you see that? That's why when she divorces and remarries, unless the divorce is for fornication, as Matthew 19, 9 specifies, that's why when she divorces and remarries, she's committing adultery against the first husband because she's still bound or obligated to him as long as he lives. And if he's still alive and she's married to another man, this verse says she's an adulteress. She commits adultery. Same for the man. If I divorce my wife for incompatibility and I marry Betty, that marriage is adulterous. I'm cheating on Carol, Mark 10, verse 11, because I'm still bound or obligated to Carol. Well, let's read that in Mark 10, 11 and 12, very similar to Matthew 19, 9. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. 
So if a man divorces his wife and marries another, he's committing adultery against her, the first wife, because he's still bound to her. He's still obligated to that first wife. So that when he has a relationship with that second wife, the one he's not supposed to be with, he's committing adultery against his first wife, the one he's still bound to or still obligated to. Perhaps you have a Bible question or comment about this topic, divorce and remarriage, or any other Bible topic. The lines are wide open. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. Do you see that? Now, that's really pretty simple. It's not really that hard to understand. But I've been told almost all churches across America, most churches across America, 20 to 30 percent of the adult membership is in a second or third marriage that violates Matthew 19.9, what Jesus calls an adulterous marriage. And those churches just go along with it. They go along with it. They don't say anything about it. They're scared to. They're scared. They're afraid they'll lose members or contribution. But think about John the Baptist. When he saw such a marriage, he was willing to call it out. To tell Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her, even though it cost him his life. And we have preachers today, they're not willing to preach the truth on this because it might cost them a few members, might cost them a little bit of contribution. Matthew 5, 31 and 32 is kind of similar to Matthew 19, 9 also. Jesus speaking here, he said, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife Saving for the cause of fornication causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. Do you see that? If you divorce your wife for any other reason other than fornication, your original spouse, the one you're bound to, you cause them to commit adultery. And whoever marries her that is divorced commits adultery. So if you uh, marry a woman who's been put away, whether they've been put away for fornication or put away for incompatibility, you commit adultery if you marry a person who's been divorced by their previous spouse. Sam from California, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. How you doing, sir? Thanks for everything. Hey, Sam, you appreciate you calling. Um, yeah, yeah, just had a quick question. Like, you know, Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lustful eyes, you have committed adultery. So um, is the adultery you're talking about a physical adultery or... Is it like that adultery as well? Let's say someone marries someone, but, you know, they think they have, they were doing adulterous stuff in their mind or looking at bad stuff, like just, yeah. It's physical adultery. Let me, let me see if I can uh, explain this to you, Sam. Here, here, I'm going to use an analogy to start with. First Peter 3.15 says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Okay. So that's not physical murder though, right? That's that's kind of like we'd say murder in the heart. Just like Matthew 5, 28, when you lust, it's adultery in the heart, right? Yeah. When it says whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, that's not physical murder. That's murder in the heart. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament really taught the same thing. I believe I could show you that. But the penalty in the Old Testament for murder, physical murder, was death. But if somebody hated another person, which would be murder in the heart, There was not a death penalty for that. So you see, even there's a different penalty for actual murder than murder in the heart, than hate, which is hate. Do you follow what I'm saying, Sam? Yes. I mean, even under our government law, 
you can be executed in Alabama for murder, but that's only talking about actual murder. If you hate somebody, that's murder in the heart, but you can't be put to death for that, right? Correct. So it's the same way in Matthew 19.9. Yes, it's true. Matthew 5.28 says lust is committing adultery in the heart, but it's not actual physical adultery. Adultery in the heart is not the same as physical, actual adultery. And Matthew 19.9 is talking about physical, actual adultery. Does that answer your question, Sam? Yes, yes, perfectly. Thank you. <laughs> Sam, appreciate your call. All right, thank you. You're welcome. Phyllis, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, sir. So I was wondering about two people that were in um, unmarried relationships, had children out of wedlock, then mm -hmm. later became married to each other and are still married. Are those people also committing adultery? No. Why would they be com committing adultery, Phyllis? They never... They're not, they've never been married before, right? This is the first marriage for both of them, right? First marriage for both. Yeah, so Jesus is saying if I divorce my wife for any reason other than fornication and remarry, that's a second marriage, that's an adulterous marriage. So these two people okay. you're talking about who've never been married before, they sinned before they got married. No doubt about that. They need to repent of that to be forgiven. Yeah. But when they get married, when they get married, that's okay because they have the right to marry each other. And as a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, were these two people committing fornication with each other or somebody else? Uh, other people. Well, in 1 Corinthians 7, 2, it says, but nevertheless, to have, avoid fornication. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, let every woman have her own husband. So here's a young woman and a young man who are tempted to commit fornication. Maybe they do. They, you know, when they, they, they're 21 years old, they have strong sexual desires. They sin. They commit fornication. One option for them, they got to repent of that fornication to be forgiven. No doubt about that. But one option for them is to get married. And then they can lawfully, in the eyes of God, have sex. Does that make sense? So yeah. that's one of the purposes for marriage is to help people avoid fornication. If you can't, 1 Corinthians 7 talks about, uh, He's recommending in 1 Corinthians 7 about people remaining single because of the present distress. But he says, verse 9, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. It's better to marry than to burn in lust. You know what I'm saying, Phyllis? Yes. yes. So I would say from your story that those people, they're legitimately married. They've never been married before. They got married. Nope. They're scripturally married, and they should stay in that marriage till death do them part. Make sense? All right. <laughs> that, yes. Thank you Phillip, so much. Good question. You got any, any follow-up? Um, what about people that are, um, I, I know a person that is, they're in a relationship, they're not married, they've had sex, the girl is pregnant, and they want to get married, but they are living together, and the um, pastor said that he will not be able to marry them because they are living together. Um, I advise those people to go to the courthouse and get married. Yeah, I don't, I, I would, if they want to get married, I would say that's a good choice because that will help them avoid this fornication and there's going to be a baby there then that will be living with both their parents, which is ideal. 
Yes. You know what I'm saying? Now, if one of the partners yeah. is a Christian and the other partner wasn't a Christian, I'm not so sure I would recommend that that Christian marry a non-Christian. But I'm assuming these two people want to do what's right. They want to get married to avoid fornication. Yeah, I would say probably that's right. Get married and so that child can be raised by both their physical, biological parents. Okay, Phyllis? All right. Got to go off the air, Phyllis. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're about to have to go off there. We appreciate so much you listening to Bible Crossfire. As usual, I will announce that if you would like to study with me by phone, sometime when it's convenient for you, I want you to call or text me, and we'll arrange to have a phone Bible study at a time that's convenient for you. Call or text me at 256-682-9753. Again, if you want a free one-hour phone Bible study over the phone, call or text me at 256 682 9753. Be sure and listen next week at this same time to Bible Crossfire.